0: More importantly what I've experienced in my own life I can tell you that God's power is real and every one of us here tonight is a product of God's power I'm talking about God's transforming power because if you look at yourself back in the years several years back and compare yourself with today you'll know that the power of God is working in your life because you know that you never used to you don't think like you used to think You don't act like you used to act. You don't behave like you used to behave. You don't talk like you used to talk. And if you even try doing that, you know it just doesn't feel right anymore. You know that God has changed you. That's the transforming power of God. God has transformed our lives. He's changed our thinking and brought us to this place that we are today. So you know yourself. You've experienced the power of God. So it's real. It does exist. And so that's what we're going to talk about tonight, and we're just going to pick up just a quick review of what we covered last week, and I'm just going to highlight it because I don't want to spend too much time reviewing, because I've got so much that I want to share tonight. But one of the purpose, actually, I should say, the main purpose for, uh, and I believe it's God's purpose for sharing this message is because I want to encourage your faith. For others, I want to be able to restore your faith. Because we all can stand here and we can all sit around and we can all fellowship. And we can come to church in this gathering. And we can talk about the power of God. We can sing about the power of God. We can read about the power of God. But do we actually believe in the power of God? Now I believe that if we get a hold of this, it will change our thinking. It will change our prayer life. It will change how we pray. It will change how we live. Because we understand That God's power is alive, is real, and it's active. And one of the things about reading from the scriptures, and tonight I'm going to spend a little bit more time in the Old Testament rather than in the New Testament. Now you may ask yourself, well why the Old Testament? Well you know the Bible, the Old Testament was written for for our example. There's a reason why the, the Old Testament was written. It's to encourage us is, to, is to, uh, to give us the examples that the power that God had demonstrated back then is the same God that can demonstrate that power today. And I don't want you to think that because God had done some wonderful work and spread the Red Sea and delivered God's people out of Egypt and sent manna from heaven. He may not be doing that to you today. But that doesn't mean His power is not working. It doesn't mean that His power is not real. It doesn't mean that He cannot do that today. But he chooses to do however he chooses to do it. Because that's the wonderful power of God. He can do whatever he wants to do. And that's what we talked about last week. We talked about how he is the omnipotent God. And we talked about how omnipotence means all power or all powerful. And that's who God is. He's an all powerful God. That means his power is, is, is infinite. That means it's unlimited. It's endless. It's immeasurable. It is infinite. That means that God can do whatever he wants to do. But because of his omnipotence, there's a moral base to his power. Because he's a righteous God, he's a holy God, God will never exercise or use his power, or abuse his power, or use his power in any way that's contrary to his holy character or his holy nature. But when God demonstrates his power, it's only for the purpose of magnifying his glory and fulfilling his purpose here on this earth. But never to abuse his power. He doesn't need to impress us. But there's a purpose to his power. We talked about how his power is effortless. We saw that in Genesis chapter 1 and verse 3 where God, the Bible says, when he said, let there be light. And light came. You notice that there was no sweating involved. There was no grunting or straining or groaning. There was no collection of raw materials. There were no blueprints made. Uh, There were nothing of that nature. He simply spoke and it existed. Psalm 33, 6 says, by the word of the Lord, you've made the heavens and the earth. And by the breath of your mouth, all the hosts therein. He said, you spoke and it was done. You commanded, and it stood fast. That's how effortless his power is. And we find that his power is so effortless because he's a self generating God. He has a self generating power. It's like a generator that keeps running, never needs to be fueled, never needs to, to be fixed, just keeps running and running. It's almost like an internal battery, so to speak. But it never stops, it's always going. And you know that because the Bible says in Hebrews 1.3 that God sustains all things by the word of his power. The word that's sustained is a very important word because stop and think about this. You ever wonder why we don't fall off the earth? It's because God sustains the law of gravity. You ever wonder why this earth doesn't get off its orbit and starts wandering into space? Because God sustains the earth in its orbit by his word. You ever wonder why it will not get burned to death or freeze to death? Because when he created the sun, he placed it at the right distance. You know, if you look up in the sun, it looks like it's pretty near, but it's actually 93 million miles away. But it's at the perfect distance so that we won't get burned to death or we won't freeze to death. So we see that God is not only framed the world by his word, but he also sustains the world by his word. But that's how effortless it is. We also learned that he is an out-of-nothing God. We learned that God can create something from nothing. You know, it's one thing to have power to form something, but to create something from nothing, that's real power. When we looked at the uh, the example of Abraham and and Sarah, two elderly people, there's nothing wrong with elderly people now. But what God had required of them was an impossible task. God says, I'm going to make your father of many nations, and I'm going to make you, Sarah, a mother of many nations. And of course, and when the Bible described Abraham and Sarah, they described it as being advanced in age. Romans chapter 4 says that Abraham was dead in his body, and his wife, Sarah, was, had a dead womb. Sarah could never have children because she's always been barren throughout her whole life. But then God says that Sarah is going to have a child. She's going to conceive and bear a child. And when Sarah heard God speak, this, she chuckled. says, can I bear a child as old as I am? And my my husband, as old as he is, can he produce and father a child? And then God said this. He says, why is Sarah laughing? And then he asked a rhetorical question. Is anything too hard for the Lord? And if you remember, I talked to you about how, when we face circumstances that seem impossible, we ought to ask that same question: Is anything too hard for the Lord? Whenever we're faced with a financial, uh, when we're going through financial struggles, we ought to ask ourselves: Is anything too hard for the Lord? When we're going through our struggles in our own flesh, we ask ourselves: Is anything too hard for the Lord? Because you see, the answer is nothing is too hard for the Lord. He is an out of nothing God. He can create something from nothing. One of the dangers that we fall into is that, you know, the Bible says, uh, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not to your own understanding. Every time we lean to our own understanding, we are in danger of ignoring God's assessment of the situation. I can look at a door that's closed, but God sees it as open. I can see something that is impossible, but God can, it's an opportunity for God says it is possible. See, when we rely on our own understanding, we're ignoring God's assessment of the situation. Understand that God can create something from nothing. So if, we, if you want to look at something, I would rather look at it through God's eyes than rather looking at it through my own eyes. Abraham was a perfect example because the Bible says that he considered not his body now dead. That means that he can look at himself and say, there's no way that I can father a child. And I look at my wife and say, there's no way that Sarah can produce a child because she's 90 years old and her womb is dead, always has been. And there's no way that that can happen. But if you can look at your situation and not be discouraged, you know you have faith. Because Abraham looked at his situation, and the Bible says he did not get weak in faith. Even though he considered not his body, but he can look at his body and say, Lord, I know in the natural, I know that biologically it is impossible. But I'm not looking it from my eyes. I'm looking it from your eyes, Lord. And if you say that we're going to do this, then so be it. Another example is when the angel Gabriel appeared to Mary. And told Mary, Mary, you're going to have a child. And uh, and, and he says, it's not just any child, but it's going to be the Son of God. And his name is going to be Jesus. And Mary asks a very simple and basic question. A question that you and I would probably ask. And she says, how can this be, Lord? Me being a virgin. I mean, I've never known a man. How can this be? And the angel of the Lord answered, the power of the Lord will overshadow you. And in that same chapter, in that last verse, Luke one thirty seven, the angel says, for, for with God nothing is impossible. And I noticed that that purse has that. For with God nothing is impossible. So it, it's very important that we do understand the power of God and how active it is today, how real it is today. God's power is just as real today as it was 2,000 years ago. That's what I really want you to understand. I want to encourage your faith. I want to restore your faith. And I want you to believe that God's power is real. I want you to be able to dare to believe the impossible. I want you to dare to believe the miraculous. And I talked the last time when when God told Abraham that you're going to have a, a child. God didn't expect uh, Abraham to believe that he's able to do it on his own. See, God does not want us to believe that we can perform miracles. God only requires that we believe in miracles. Because we're not the one doing it. It's his power that's going to make it happen. So that's what we talked about and that's what we covered. So we're going to continue on and we're going to talk about the uniqueness of God's power. God's power is unique. And what do I mean by that? Well, simply this. The reason why God's power is so unique is because no one can do what God can do. It's that simple. What God can do, no man can do. Go to Deuteronomy chapter 3. Deuteronomy chapter 3. God can do anything that he wants to do. All that God, all, everything that makes God who he is, is within himself. He's all-sufficient. He's all-powerful. We talked about how God is Al Shaddai. That means he's the God that is more than enough. The all-sufficient God. The all-powerful God. We talked about how the word Shaddai means the pouring out. So when he approached Abraham and he announced himself as the Almighty God, he was simply saying, I am the all-pouring-out God. I am the more-than-enough God. I am the many-breasted God. I am the all-sufficient God. So in other words, whenever you find yourself insufficient, God will become your sufficiency. When you find yourself in lack, God will become your abundance. And so this is what I want you to really get a hold of. I don't want you to say my God, my God as a title or just as a name. I want you to see God as your El Shaddai. As your God that is more than enough. As your all sufficient God. I want you to see God as everything that you need him to be. In Acts chapter 3 and verse 24, listen to what... Moses said he says this oh God in verse 24 Deuteronomy did I say that? what did I say? God can do all things I didn't say I can now you know the difference between my power and God's power Deuteronomy chapter 3 verse 24 says "O Lord God You have begun to show your servant your greatness and your strong hand. For what God is there in heaven or on earth who can do such works and such mighty acts as yours? Now Moses would know this because he witnessed God's power. He saw God's power uh, when he delivered the children of Israel from bondage. He saw God's power over nature when he divided up the, the Red Sea. He saw God's power when he provided manna from heaven. So he knew what he was talking about when he said this in this verse. He had the experience and most important of all, he was a part of God's power. Now quickly go to Exodus chapter 3. Exodus chapter 3. When, God got to, when, when Moses began to know who God was, he learned that God was a God of the, who delivers. Exodus chapter 3 and beginning in verse 7. This is when Moses met God for the first time. And then God begins to reveal his plan to Moses. And more importantly, God also revealed that Moses was going to be a part of his wonderful plan. He said in verse 7, The Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt. And have given heed to their cry because of their taskmasters. For I am aware of their sufferings. Verse 8. So I have come down to what? Deliver. Them from who? From the power of the Egyptians. And to bring them up from that land to a good and spacious land. To a land flowing with milk and honey. To the place of the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Amorites and the Perizzites and the Hivites and the Jebusites. He is a God that delivers. The word deliver means to snatch away or to pluck or to take out. And God was telling Moses, I'm going to take out, I'm going to snatch out my people. Do you know that God is doing that today? You know that he's taking out or snatching out people from danger? That God is snatching people out, his people, from situations that they shouldn't be in? God is a God that still does that today. How many of you you know that God has snatched you from a situation in your life that was very dangerous okay a lot of hands so we know that God can do that well Moses is learning that really quick go to Exodus chapter 5 because what we have here is this God told Moses I'm going going to send you to Pharaoh and I want you to tell him to let my people go because I want to deliver my people Now picture an 80-year-old man, an 80-year-old shepherd, standing before a very powerful king and telling the king, let my people go because God says he wants them out. And understand that now we're going to see a confrontation, not between Moses and Pharaoh, but between the power of God and the power of Pharaoh. Now understand that Pharaohs were considered the most powerful people in the known world. During this time, Egypt was the greatest power, powerful nation. And that makes Pharaoh the greatest and most powerful person in the earth at that time. Many of the Egyptians, as a matter of fact, you should say all the Egyptians saw Pharaoh as a semi-god, meaning half man and half God. And that's how they were treated. And so here you got an 80-year-old shepherd coming up to Moses, I mean to, to uh, Pharaoh, and saying, Pharaoh, God says, Let my people go. Demanding many that he let him go. Now, in Exodus chapter 5, in verse 1, he confronts Pharaoh and tells Pharaoh what God wants. Now, Pharaoh responds to Moses in verse 2. He said, but Pharaoh said, who is the Lord that I should obey his voice to let Israel go? I do not know the Lord, and besides, I will not let Israel go go. Go to Deuteronomy chapter 26. We're about to see the clash of powers here. Deuteronomy chapter 26. Pharaoh was exercising his power and authority and told Moses no get lost. I don't know this God. I don't think I should obey this God. I don't even know who he is. And so, because he said no, God's people are still under the power of Pharaoh. Now, in Deuteronomy chapter 26, and verse 8, this is the outcome between God's power and Pharaoh's power. And the Lord said in verse 8, and the Lord brought us out of Egypt with what? A mighty hand, and an outstretched arm, and with great terror, and with signs and wonders. When we see this, we find that there is no power on this earth that is greater or more powerful than God. It's like the analogy that I used last week about the crocodile Dundee. Where crocodile had the big knife and the mugger had the small knife. And when the mugger saw that he had a bigger knife than him, the mugger turned and ran. And that was what we see here. You know, I heard this reference where someone says, it's like taking a knife to a gunfight. Who has the advantage? The person with a gun. And Pharaoh didn't know who he was messing with. But here's a good example that if you mess with us, you're messing with God. And that's what God had demonstrated here. Now, look at what Psalm 35 says. You don't need to turn there. But it says, all my bones will I say, Lord, who is like you? Who delivers the afflicted from him who is too strong for him, and the afflicted and the needy from him who robs him. In other words, who is this God that delivers you from someone or something that is stronger than you are? How many of you have ever faced a situation where it was too overwhelming for you, or too strong for you, and then God came through and helped you? (laughs) Amen. We can learn something from that. Because God is very much aware of what's going on in our lives. And he knows exactly when things become overwhelming. He knows when things are too strong or too much for us to handle. And God always knows how to come through and deliver us at a time when we need delivering. People, I need you to restore your faith and encourage your faith in the power of God. It is active and alive and still working today. So we find that God's power was much bigger and more powerful than Pharaoh's God. Now I want you to go to 2 Kings. and i will to show you another example in chapter 18. We saw God tangling with, uh, with Pharaoh. Now we're going to see God tangling with the Assyrian king. And during this time, the Assyrians were the known power. They were expanding their empire. They've already defeated Samaria and, uh, and the northern kingdom, which was Israel. And what they normally do is so when they conquer you, they'll take you, capture you, and then disperse you throughout the, uh, the kingdom or throughout their empire. So what, that ha- what happens is that it, it takes away their identity. They no longer have a nation. They no longer have an identity. And that's what happened to Israel. And so Judah was under the power of the Assyrian king. And here's what, what happens is if you go, in order to stay under that empire and be at peace with the king... They were required to, to, to uh, give tributes to the king. Well, King Hezekiah was the king of Judah. And he was a very good king, a very uh, a godly king. And he refused to pay tribute to, to the Assyrian king. Now, of course, the Assyrian king got, got wind of that and got upset. And so what he did was he gathered up his army and headed towards Jerusalem. King Hezekiah knew that he was going to come up against him. So what he did was he formed an alliance with the Phoenicians with the Philistines, along with the Egyptians. Now the Assyrian, under King Sennacherib, as they were on their way to Jerusalem, stopped and made a stop at Phoenicia, conquered the Phoenicians, then stopped over the Philistia, and conquered the Philistians, or the Philistines, or Philistines. So now, half of King Hezekiah's allies were annihilated. So now he was in trouble. Now, and he could not rely on Egypt, because Egypt was not that powerful Egypt several thousand years before. So now he knew he was in trouble. So what he did was he sent word to the king. And said, listen, I apologize. I'm sorry for rebelling against you. What I'll do is I'll pay whatever tribute you want me to pay. And so the king says, okay, I want you to pay a ton of silver and a ton of gold. And he did that. But it wasn't enough. It wasn't enough to satisfy the king. So the king of of Syrians led his army and right at the footstep of Jerusalem. Because now he was going to make an example of them. Now... I set the stage. Now go to verse 31. Now the the king of Assyria sent three of his top officials to send this message to the king of Hezekiah. To king Hezekiah. Now I want you to stay with me here. King Hezekiah sent three of his messengers to receive the message from the king of, of Assyria. Now these were the words of the king of Assyria. Verse 31. He says don't listen to Hezekiah the king. These are the terms the king of Assyria is offering. Make peace with me, open the gates and come out. Then each of you can continue eating from your own grapevine and fig tree and drinking from your own well. Then I will arrange to take you to another land like this one. A land of grain and new wine, bread and vineyards, olive groves and honey. Choose life instead of death. Don't listen to Hezekiah when he tries to mislead you by saying, The Lord Will rescue us. Now, this is what I want you to see. Verse 33. Again, this is the the words of King Assyria. Have the gods of any other nations ever saved their people from the king of Assyria? What happened to the gods of Hamath and Arpad and the other three cities? Did any god rescue Samaria from my power? What god of any nation has ever been able to save its people from my power? So what makes you think that the Lord can rescue Jerusalem from me? These were the words of the king of Assyria. Now, <clears throat> I want you to go to Second uh, Kings chapter 19. The next chapter over. I don't know about you, but I love this stuff. I, 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 I love history. And I enjoy studying this stuff because this, this stuff is great. 2 Kings chapter 18. Now, having heard that, it, 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 as you listen to the words of, of the king, he had a lot to say about King Hezekiah and it wasn't good. He also had a lot to say about God and it wasn't good. And so when King Hezekiah received the messages, he said, oh my goodness, we're in trouble. So what did he do? He went to the Lord in prayer. And we're going to pick up in verse 14. Listen to what he says. And Hezekiah king of Judah sent to the king of Assyria, saying, I have offended you. Okay, wait a minute, that's the wrong one. Okay, here we go. 2 Kings 19, verse 14. And Hezekiah received the letter of the hand of the messengers and read it. And Hezekiah went up into the house of the Lord and spread it before the Lord. You know, isn't it interesting that and I think this is something we should probably practice, that whenever you get a bill that you cannot pay, bring it in prayer to the Lord. Just lay it before the Lord and pray. That's what King Hezekiah did with this letter. It wasn't a very good letter. wasn't a very good message. Wasn't a, it was a very terrifying message. But he brought it before the Lord, placed it before the Lord, and they began to pray. Now listen to his prayers. After he brought that to the Lord, he spread it before the Lord. In verse 15... And Hezekiah prayed before the Lord and said, O Lord God of Israel, which dwell between the cherubims, thou art the God, even thou alone, of all the kingdoms of the earth thou hast made heaven and earth. Lord, bow down thy ear and hear. Open, Lord, thine eyes and see, and hear the words of Sennacherib, which hath set to reproach the living God. Verse 17, Of a truth, Lord, the kings of Assyria have destroyed the nations and their lands. And have cast their gods into the fire, for they were no gods, but the work of men's hands, wood and stone. Therefore they have destroyed them. Now therefore, O Lord our God, I beseech thee, save thou us out of his hand, that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that thou art the Lord God, even you alone. Now it's interesting because Hezekiah knew his God. And he knew that there was no other God beside him. And he reminded, Lord, you are the only God who created the heavens and the earth. Only you and you only are the king and and head of all the nations. And so, Lord, we ask that you deliver us from this. Now, as I said before, we heard the words of the king of of Assyria. And he had a lot to say about King Hezekiah. And as I said before, it was not good. We also heard how he had plenty to say about the Lord God. And we know that was not good. Now, I want you to look down in verse 32. Because after Hezekiah prayed, the Lord responded to the prophet Isaiah. And these were the words of the Lord in response to Hezekiah's prayer. And I'm reading this from the New Living Translation. 2 Kings 19 and verse 32. And this is what the Lord says about the king of Assyria. As I said once again. The king of Assyria had a lot to say about King Hezekiah, and it wasn't good. The king has a lot to say about God, and it wasn't good. But now God has something to say about the king of Assyria. What is God saying about your search situation or your circumstances? I'm sure you've heard words from your landlord, and it wasn't good. I'm sure you've had some words from your bank about your mortgage, and it wasn't good. I'm sure you probably heard words from your employer, and that wasn't good. I'm sure you probably heard words from your doctor, and that wasn't good. But what is God saying about that situation? My point here is that God has a final word. He has the final say. Anybody can say whatever they want to say. Don't matter what the situation is. Don't matter what your circumstances is. I want to know what God has to say about the situation. And isn't it interesting that with all the situation that's going on, and Hezekiah facing this very terrible time, but God had a final word. And this is what he said. This is what I have to say about the king of Assyria. His armies will not enter Jerusalem. They will not even shoot an arrow at it. They will not march outside its gates with their shields, nor build banks of earth against its walls. The king will not return to his own country, or he says he will return to his own country by the same road on which he came, and he will not enter this city, says the Lord. For my own honor and for the sake of my servant David, I will defend this city and protect it. Glory to God. God always has the final word, in your life so whenever you face whatever circumstances in your life don't listen to it wait for the final word that God has wait for his word because his word is much greater and just like God had defended the city of, uh, of, of Judah of Jerusalem God will do the same for you it's the same power Bible says in Malachi 3.6 I am God and I change not The problem is that our views of God changes. And isn't it? Well, I'm getting ahead of myself. Let me just stop there. But it doesn't stop there. Now, God says, this is my final word. He will not enter into your city. You will not be attacked. Not even an arrow will come to you. But he's going to turn around and go back home. Now, verse 32. Uh, Verse 35. Then it happened that night. Again, I'm reading from the New American Standard Bible. Then it happened that night that the angel of the Lord went out and struck 185,000 men in the camp of the Assyrians. And when the men rose early in the morning, behold, all of them were dead. Look at verse 36. So Sennacherib, king of Assyria, departed and returned home and lived in Nineveh. Just like the Lord said he would. That is the final word that God has. And, uh, and it doesn't end there. Look in verse 37. When the king went home back to Nineveh, he went into the place of worship and began to worship his God. And there he was murdered by his two sons. So the threat that King Hezekiah had was no longer a threat anymore. Because God took that threat away. And isn't it something how God is able to do those things? Just when we're faced with something that's so overwhelming and we can't see any way out. But when you wait on the Lord and wait on his word, he knows how to get you out of that situation. Because his power works today as it did 2,000 or 3,000 years ago. Psalm 77, 13 says this, what God is great like our God? And Isaiah 44 and verse 6 says, and there is no God beside me who is like me. Let me give you another example. Let's go back to numbers. Let's go to numbers and we'll talk about Moses again. Again, I'm simply showing you some examples in the Bible of God's awesome power. And, you know, and it's fun to read it from the scriptures, but again, we need to take it from the scriptures and make it a reality in our lives. So that when we go and pray to God, we're not just praying to a God. We're praying to an Almighty God. We're praying to a God that can change things. We're praying to a God that knows how to make situations uh, complete. Knows how to uh, make a way where there is no way. Uh, pray to a God that can create something from nothing. God who can open doors where there are no doors. A God who knows how to make a way. That's the God that we're praying to. And you know what? That's, that's the point of prayer is asking God to do something that you and I cannot do in our own strength, in our own abilities. So who do we rely on? We rely on His strength and on His abilities. You know, if you've ever come to a place in your life where you've done all that you could do and found out that there was nothing more that you can do and this was just not enough, that's when God becomes strong in our behalf. That's when he becomes mighty. That's when he begins to demonstrate his power. That's when he begins to show himself of who he really is. And as I said before, when you cry to God in your lack, God becomes your abundance. When you cry to God in your insufficiency, that's when God becomes your sufficiency. When you cry out to God in your lack of confidence, then he becomes your confidence. He becomes everything that you need him to be at the time that you need it. That's who God is. Look at Numbers. This was Moses in the wilderness. And again, Moses by this time had already experienced all of God's wonderful powers. He's seen it with his own eyes. And now he's in the wilderness. And now he's dealing with another issue. The people were complaining. They were getting tired of manna. They were getting tired of the fact that they only had one menu in the wilderness. Manna. Fried manna. Boiled manna. Baked manna. Manna a la mode. <laughs> and they were just tired of manna. Say, said, can we have some meat, please? Lord, please give us some meat. And the Lord became angry He says, okay, you want meat? I'll give you meat. Not for a day, not for two days. I'm going to give you meat for a whole month. You're going to have meat so much, you're going to get sick of it. But I'm going to give you the meat that you asked for. Now, God can do something supernatural by using natural means. Now, we'll pick up in verse 11, I mean verse 21. So that's, that's pretty good. I was testing you. You're pretty sharp tonight. Numbers chapter 11. I can't put nothing past you guys, I'm telling you. Numbers chapter 11. Now, God told Moses, Moses, I'm going to provide them with meat. Now, Moses comes to God and says this in verse 21 of chapter 11 of Numbers. But Moses said, the people among whom I am are 600,000 on foot. Referring to the soldiers, but we're talking about 2 million people here. Yet you have said, Lord, I will give them meat so that they may eat for a whole month. Now in verse 22 says, should the flocks and the herds be slaughtered for them to be sufficient for them? Or should all the fish of the sea be gathered together for them to be for sufficient for them? In other words, what, God, what Moses was saying was this. Lord, of all the herds and the flocks that we have, we can slaughter them and it still won't be enough. We can go out and catch all the fish in the sea, Lord, and it still won't be enough. Moses was kind of doubting God. Now, isn't it interesting that Moses had experienced God's power? He's seen God's power at work. He's seen some mighty things, but yet he still doubted God's power to provide meat. So much like we do. God had done some wonderful things in our past. But then we seem to forget that when we find ourselves in a situation in the present, why is it that we believe that God can't do what he did three months or three years ago? Why is it that we do that? You know, it's very easy to forget what God has done. Very simple. You know we can get caught in the moment. But you know what happens is that we live day to day in our daily lives. And we get lulled into forgetting what God had done. We get lulled into forgetting what God can do. And so then when, whenever we're faced with a situation. It's almost, it's almost, it almost seems like the power that God used several years ago. It's like God can't do it today. Why is that? And here's the thing. If Moses can forget, how much easier it is for us. If Moses can doubt God, even though he experienced God's power and he witnessed it, yet he forgot, yet he still doubted, how much easier it is for us. Let's begin reading. And so he says, what we have is just not enough. Lord, are you sure you can do this? And this is how God responded in verse 23. Is the Lord's power limited? How many times have God said that to us? We learned that God's power is unlimited. it's infinite. It's immeasurable. God can do anything, but God had to ask Moses and remind Moses, "Is anything too limited for me?" Go to Psalm 78. Hallelujah. Psalm 78. <clears throat> Psalm chapter 78. Are you there? Look at verse 26. This is the result of Numbers 11. God caused verse 26... God caused the east wind to blow into the heavens, and by his power he directed the south wind. Verse 27 says, When he rained meat upon them like the dust, even winged fowl like the sand of the seas. In verse 28, Then he let them fall in the midst of their camp, round about their dwelling. In other words, when God said, I'm going to provide you with meat, he took natural means by taking the wind, the east wind and the south wind, combining them together to sweep and direct the fowls or the, the quails into the direction of the camp where the Israelis were camped out. And in such a way that when the, when the wind blew the, the quails into that direction, there were so many that the people were able to gather and they spent night and day gathering all of the quails. Could it be or is it possible that God is speaking to the wind And directing that wind to send blessings, opportunities, employment, open doors, more finances, your way, in your direction, in your midst. Can it be possible? Well, the Bible says it is. God can use any means to create an opening or an opportunity or whatever it is that you may need in such a way that will bring it in your direction and let it fall in your midst. That's what the power of God can do. But do you believe it? That's the key. Can you believe it? Yeah, I know probably you're waiting and waiting and waiting for, 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 to hear from somebody to get a job. Yes, I know that you've been waiting and waiting and waiting to get extra money to pay your rent. Yes, I know that you've been waiting and waiting and waiting for some opportunity, some chance, something, an open door. But I dare you to wait some more until the final word from the Lord comes. And watch it open the doors, create opportunities, promotions employment, finance, or whatever it is that you may need. Why is that? Because God is an all-sufficient God. He is an almighty God. He can do these things. He can do whatever He wants. Because He's almighty. He's God that is more than enough. So whenever you're lacking, rely on the God that is more than enough. You know, it reminds me, when my children were young, my wife and I were working... And at the end of the work, I would pick up my wife, and then we go to my mother-in-law's house, and she would babysit our daughter, our youngest, our oldest daughter now, Crystal. And um, and every time we go there, and I, you know, she's old school K-Verdian. She wants to feed you until you, you know, until you're big. If you're skinny, she don't feel like she's doing her job. And every time I go there, she'd get make me a plate of food, be rice and chicken or rice or something or bacalhau or whatever it is. But she would put a mound on my plate. It wasn't a small portion. That was like heaped up, and and it was like that every day. I had to tell my I said, honey, please tell your mom, don't do, don't feed me so much. It's like I I can't eat all of that. But I was afraid that if I don't eat it, she she gets offended, or gets upset, and says he didn't like my food. He don't like my food. I do like your food. It's just too much. It's more than enough. Then, when I finished that, she said, Do you want more? I'll put you some more. No, 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 I don't want no more. He's a God that is more than enough. That's what God does for us. He gives you more than you need. He's able to do that because He's a powerful God. Glory to God. Go back to Exodus chapter 5. We'll just pick on Moses tonight. As I said before, when we begin to rely on our own understanding, then we are in danger of ignoring God's assessment of the situation. And we see Moses as an example of that. Moses, God has spoken to Moses and revealed to Moses his purpose and his plan and how God wanted Moses to be involved in his plan. I mean, that's a wonderful thing. God tells, I'm going to deliver my people and I want you to be a part of that. Of course, it took Moses uh, quite a bit to, you know, to, to respond because he kept saying, well, I'm not inadequate. I mean, I don't, can't speak well. I don't know if I can do this. I don't know if I can do that. And Lord, maybe you've got the wrong guy. Maybe he'll find somebody else to do this. But God found the perfect guy. He was the perfect person. He qualified for what God wanted him to do. Because you know, when you are inadequate in your own abilities, that's okay because God doesn't want you to boast about your abilities. God wants to boast about his abilities. He wants us to boast. It is him, it is his power that has done this. So Moses was the perfect candidate. Yeah, he was inadequate. Yeah, he was kind of weak. Yeah, he was kind of afraid. Yeah, he wasn't much of a speaker. He wasn't eloquent. But you know what? You qualify. You're exactly what I need. And I need you for this purpose. Well, God told him, Okay, now I want you to go to Pharaoh and I want you to tell him, Let my people go. Now, if he doesn't let you, let them go. I got your back. Okay, you represent me now. And I have power behind you. Alright, so Moses goes on. You know, and he, you know, says his thing, and Pharaoh says no. I'm not letting him go. But then, not only did he say no, but then what he did was he also increased the workload of the people. He said, from now on, the people are going to find their own straws to make bricks. And the people were complaining. He said, no, no, you can't do this. That's more work. And he says, not only are you going to to find your own straw to make this brick, but you're going to keep continuing the same quota. Because if you... Make less than what you've been doing, we're going to beat you and oppress you. And that's what was happening. The oppression was, lifted, was, was raised and they were constantly being uh, forced into doing something like this. And so it, it became harder for them. And so they became more oppressed. They were beaten. And they were complaining because they were blaming Moses and when the leaders of Israel went before Pharaoh tried to plead with him saying no you can't do this you got to change this because it's not fair to us and, Mo, and, and of course the Pharaoh says no you're going to continue doing this this is how I want it to be so when they got out from uh, meeting with Pharaoh Moses and Aaron was waiting for them and they, when they finally met with Moses and Aaron they began to tell Aaron and Moses listen it was your fault you did all this to us you, it, because of you now we're forced to work more and we're being beaten and oppressed even more now you can imagine Moses being as sensitive as he is he felt really bad. And if we pick up in verse 22 after hearing all of this Moses goes to the Lord to the Lord. In verse 22 it says then Moses returned to the Lord and said O Lord why have you brought harm to this people? Why did you ever send me in the first place? Ever since I came to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has done harm to this people. And you have not delivered your people at all. So Moses was discouraged. He felt like a failure. He felt that, like he wasn't even the right man for this. I mean, he wondered why even God chose him. He felt so inadequate. He felt like a failure. He didn't feel like he was the right man for the job. And more importantly, he began to doubt in the promises of God to deliver. And didn't God say, I want you to go and I will deliver them? But yet it didn't happen. And so this is what God's response to Moses. Go to Exodus chapter 6. When we set out to do something and it fails, it's not only natural for us to become discouraged. It's natural for us to feel like we're failures. Like maybe we weren't good enough. Maybe we didn't try hard enough. Maybe we're just not even the right person to do what, whatever it is we were doing. And we begin to start doubting ourselves. And then that doubt is d- directed towards God. And we begin to doubt His power and His ability. And how many of you have ever asked the Lord, Lord, why didn't you do that? Why, why, why didn't you provide for me what I needed you? Why weren't you there when I needed you there? How many of you have ever prayed that prayer? let's be honest, I have. And we've done that. That's what Moses did. What happens is when we do that, we begin to rely on our own understanding. And then what happens is that we ignore God's assessment of the situation. The, the, The circumstances, the failures, the shortcomings become a distraction. Taking our eyes off of the one that can make it happen The one who promised to make it happen. And because when it didn't happen when we wanted it to, or when we expected it to, then we begin to start doubting ourselves, and then we become start doubting God. And then what happens is that we now are looking at our own assessment rather than God's. We begin to see things our way rather than seeing the way God sees it. You see, when God says, I'm going to do something, that never changes. He will do it. As I said before, it's our views that change. We can be on fire one day. And then when things are not happening, then we sort of change our tune. We're not on fire the next day. And begin to wonder and question. And so God responds to Moses. Chapter 6, Exodus, and verse 6. He says, Moses, put aside your broken heart. Put aside your feelings of inadequacy. Put aside your feelings of failure. Put aside your doubt, your self-doubt. Put aside all those things. And I want you to go back to Pharaoh. This is what he says in verse 6. Say therefore to the sons of Israel. Now, before I read this, I want you to notice something. Verses 6, 7, and 8. The word I will is mentioned seven times. Now as I read this verse, I want you to say I will with me. Whenever I get to the point where it says I will, I want you to read it with me, okay? Verse 6 says, Say therefore to the sons of Israel, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians, and I will deliver you from their bondage, and I will also redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great judgments. Then I will take you for my people, and I will be your God, and you shall know that I am the Lord your God, who brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. In verse 8, I will bring you to the land which I swore to give up to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and I will give it to you for a possession. I am the Lord. This was God's assessment in this situation. I will. As simple as. I will. When we assess the situation, says, I don't think so. I'm not sure. I wonder. But God's assessment never changes. He says, I will. And you know what? He can afford to say that because He has the power to make it happen. Amen. Amen. He can say, I will, because He has the power to do so. So wouldn't it be easier just to go according to His assessment rather than rely on our own views? Amen? Amen. Oh my goodness, where did the time go? I'm going to have to stop there and pick up where we left off next Wednesday. Oh, glory to God. Well, let's pray. Father, we thank you, Lord, for your goodness and your mercy. We thank you for your word tonight. Father, we thank you, Father God, for helping us to understand your true power. Thank you for encouraging our faith. Thank you for restoring our faith in you. you. Thank you, Father God, for making known to us, Father God, that your power still is active today as it was several thousand years ago. Thank you, Father God, that you can part the Red Sea today as you did several thousand years ago. Thank you, Father God, that you can still deliver like you've done so many times before. Father, I thank you that your power never changes. I thank you that you never change. So, Father, we give you all the glory and all the praise. Thank you, Father, for this word. Thank you, Father, for encouraging my spirit. Thank you for stirring me up and making me alive and giving me the confidence in knowing, Father, that I can pray to you and know that things will happen because you're an almighty God. Lord, I thank you. And so now, Lord, I give you all the glory and all the praise for your wonderful and mighty power that is at work in our lives. And for this, we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.